Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is James Kleiman, the managing editor of all of our newsrooms, to talk about the biggest stories we've covered this week across all of our brands. Before we dive in, here's a word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, it's important to partner with a subservicer who is compliant. TMS operates under a culture of compliance, one that follows all investor and regulatory guidelines 24 7, 365. They not only put the customer first, they do what is right. It's a way of doing business that has earned special praise from Fannie Mae, Jenny Mae, and many state regulators. Partner with a subservicer who makes compliance a priority. Go to subservicing.themoneysource.com. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We have tons of news to talk about today because it has been yet another very busy week for our newsrooms. Um, first off, it's earnings seasons, which has gotten more interesting as we've had you know more of our lenders and other kind of companies go public. So we're already seeing some of those results come in. Um, first, let's talk about Loan Depot. Yeah. So you're right. When I first started at Housing Wire in the summer of 2020, I, I think it was only Rocket of the big non-bank lenders that we typically cover that was actually public. And so for quite some time, we, we didn't have a lot of great insights into um, you know, what their marketing costs were, what their budgets, their, their, uh, their gain on sale margins. And, and so now we, we have all the numbers and, and we're, uh, we're overwhelmed sometimes by the numbers. But, but in terms of Loan Depot, you know, I, I think it's important to consider that Loan Depot, they're a big lender. They have a lot of... Um, a lot of avenues in which they can make money, but they have, like many of the lenders, had a very difficult time on the stock market. And so Loan Depot released their fourth quarter earnings uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, and uh, the numbers are quite grim. And, um, and and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what that means going forward, but which to hit you with a few quick numbers. So for all of 2021, uh, their full net income was $623 million in 2021. And so, you know, nobody's going to be crying for Loan Depot. That is still a very healthy amount of money. I wish I made $623 million in a year. Um, but if you think about it, they actually did much worse than they did the prior year in which they made $2 billion in profits. And so we, we can talk a lot about COVID, about margin compression, about all that. But really what's important, I think, for investors right now is, um, is, is the relevance between what's happening on a quarterly basis. So sequentially, um, let's take a look at the third quarter. They made about $154 million in profit. And in the last three months, in the fourth quarter, they only made $14.7 million in profit. So that's about a 91% decline. And a year ago, they made $547 million in profit in that quarter. So, I mean, we're talking a plunge. And, you know, the, the reasons are not unique to Loan Depot. So they, they had uh, a pretty dramatic decline again on sale margins. 
In the fourth quarter, they dropped down to 2.23, uh, 223 basis points. And that's down about 60 basis points from the third quarter. And although their expenses are dropping, they are coming down. You know, they, they undertook a, a pretty big um, effort to redesign compensation. I believe that was in the second quarter. And, um, you know, they're, they're really looking to uh, do some belt tightening, given given that we know that margins are down and, um, you know, it's going to be tougher to originate the same amount of volume that they did uh, when you could get a rate term refi, you know, for two seven two eight. You know, those those days are no longer here. So it's a it's it's a really tough landscape. I think Loan Depot were they're kind of a bellwether, right? And they were the first to go and and uh, reveal to investors what their earnings look like. We've got more. We've got Penny Mac. We've got UWM. We're gonna have Rocket this month. You know, we're bringing up a lot of other companies. Um, show us where things are trending. Um, but it's a cyclical business and it's uh, it's tough and it's only going to get tougher for the next at least two or three quarters. Well, and you know, we, it's something we talked about last year when, and, the, and in 2020 when um, these companies started going public, we were like, how does this, you know, how, how do your investors feel when, when uh, we run out of refis? Because I mean, it, it yeah. was clear to everyone, this is what was going to happen. And as you said, this is not unique to Loan Depot. No, and and if you listen to the earnings calls for pretty much every single one of these originators, you know all of the analysts say, "Hey guys, like, what are you, what are you doing to drum up purchase business? Like, how how are you going to make those margins a little bit better? Or how are you going to kind of reduce the pain? You know, I, I don't think any of them were under uh, you know any false impression that that this wasn't going to happen. You know, the, nobody can escape the cyclicality of mortgage, and and so you know it's uh. It's tough. And, and you look at the stocks, you know, some of them are down 80, 90 percent from where they debuted. Uh, my colleague, Flavia Ferlan Nunez, has a story coming out today where we, we have an analysis of the top six non-bank mortgage lenders that went public during the pandemic. So Rocket being the first in, I believe it was August of 2020. You take a look at what their market caps were when they debuted. Combined, we're at about $69 billion. Huge, massive, right? And that's that's really a factor more of, of kind of the times, right? Like, the, the origination volumes were, were stunning and, and the margins were, you know, 400 bips, 500 bips in some cases, like crazy unsustainable numbers. Um, and then you look at it today and they're not doing anywhere close to that. I mean, they, they almost don't even look like the same companies. And so, you know, the, the investors that are there, um, a lot of them have left, a lot of them have pulled their money out. And so, you know, Rocket debuted and I believe they were around the $20 share mark, at the time of their debut today, they're at 1182. You know, Home Depot, they were in the fours last I checked. I think now they're in the threes. They're at 3.83. So they're down 5% nearly, even from yesterday. And, um, you know, Home Depot is doing uh, from from a pure investment uh, you know, perspective worse than their competitors. And, um, you know, it has to be worrying, but, but Loan Depot, they say that they're in it for the long haul, that they know this is a, you know, a business that has highs and lows and, and, um, you know, they're confident they have scale, that they have, um, they have a pretty diversified business strategy. They can make money in wholesale. They can make money in retail. Uh, you know, they, they are definitely, I believe the, the way Anthony Shea put it is they're fishing in a, a bigger pond or a larger pond. Than a lot of their competitors, and, and so you look at Rocket. You know they're they're definitely gaining um, market share in, in the wholesale channel, but still very much 
um, thought of at least as, as a, a retail direct lender. UWM, they make money only through wholesale. And they're in a bit of a pricing war with uh, with Rocket at the moment. And so um, that is not going to be easy. You know, until Loan Depot looks at this and they say, look, we had, you know, 10 million plus top of funnel leads last year. You know, we, we could probably do even better this year. Uh, we can make money in wholesale. We can make money in retail. We, we are... Um, you know, diversifying other elements of our business to retain servicing rights that we previously, you know, didn't didn't keep whatsoever that immediately sold off. And so they're they're saying, look, we have we have a lot of value still. Um, and and um, they're disappointed that investors uh, haven't taken to the message for sure. We will see more of that come through. It's going to be really interesting to see how those um, those different lenders come in. We've got some other kind of companies we're going to talk about. Before that, I would I would also you know direct our readers to something that and the MBA's Mike Fratantoni. Um, we published that this week, which was his really deep dive into looking and how you measure mortgage competition. And mortgage competition between um, different kinds of of companies, you know, independent mortgage companies, the small players, the large players, and and how you would measure yourself against that. It, I thought it was fascinating and and very interesting when you're talking about Loan Depot saying, you know, we 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 have all these different pools that we work in. Really, when you look at what uh, Mike wrote, um, it's a it's a really interesting look into how you can compare yourself to your competition and and what is the mortgage competition now and what he would say is this is the most competitive market um, since you know when you compare it to either before or right after the um, great financial crisis so clearly people are fighting for market share and it's all going to come down to this this year a lot and are you able to get those referral relationships and get those you know purchase borrowers yeah you know and, and I think that's a really good point and I should also note that when when we talk about the analysts and their their um, you know issues that they might have with with lender one lender or another or uh, you know maybe higher on a channel than you know, another channel, the loan depots are going to be fine, the rockets are going to be fine, the UWMs are going to be fine. You know these are huge companies that also made literally billions of dollars in cash during twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. They are um, somewhat insulated from a lot of the problems that a midsize or a smaller lender, um, they can't escape from, you know, they, they can't say, well, this is tough, but we're, we're going to, we're going to just throw $300 million at the problem and, uh, and we'll get through it. Um, they can do that. You know, rocket has also, you know, similar to, to Lone Depot, they're, they're much better diversified. And Rocket doesn't even necessarily only do mortgage, right? Like they, they've got a title insurance business. They're in solar now. They've got their home search website. They have uh, they bought a personal finance app that that could lead to leads. You know, they we spoke with an analyst earlier this week who said that Rocket is trying to go the way of SoFi. You know, they don't just want to be a mortgage lender. They want to be the lender for everything you do. You know, car. You want to buy a car. You don't want to deal with the sleazy salesman. At, uh, at the local dealership, you call up Rocket Auto, you use their app and you've got, you've got a commitment for a $20,000 auto loan, you know, in, in 20 minutes, right? And so that's, that's the future that they envision. Um, if you're, you know, a lender that has a market cap of a billion dollars, like you cannot do that. It is impossible for you to do that. And so you're just, you know, you're, you're a lot more vulnerable when the market conditions change as they always do right like you look at the companies that we talked about 15 years ago 
how many of them even exist today, right? So no, that's right. It's it's the same game, new players, some of the same faces though, of course. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's it's an old story, right? I I love that you brought up title because we have seen um, the title companies really over the last year have some great results. Old Republic had um, published their fourth quarter earnings. T- talk about that. Yeah, I mean Old Republic really really uh, had some very impressive numbers. So we have a, a reporter who's been uh, covering the title insurance beat. I don't know of many, if any other newsroom that, that does cover title insurance. It's a, a little in the weeds, of course. Um, but they're, I believe they they tallied over a billion dollars um, in 2021. And so it's exciting. And, and you know, all of them are, are kind of um, in an interesting position in that it's still the big four, right? You know, you've got the major players that have been dominating the space since, uh, you know, men wore Stetson hats, right? Like this is, this is a bunch of old companies uh, with, with an old workforce, but they, they are an essential part of real estate. And a lot of them are thinking about how do we use technology? How do we leverage some of the relationships that we already have with real estate agents and lenders? And how do we expand and get a little bit deeper? And so, you know, they have cash on hand and, um, I'd say, you know, although they will get hurt by refis being less prevalent as well, um, a little bit less so. So um, I, I think the title space is really interesting. What, what fascinates me most in the title space is what happens to the smaller players out there. You know, a lot of them are kind of, like I said, small. And, and uh, generally speaking, this is an aging workforce. And Many of them are all too happy to be acquired by Stewart, Old Republic, you know, and and even some some newer players like Doma, formerly known as States Title. So it's a it's it's a pretty interesting space as, as title goes. Of course, uh, I mean, no one will uh, will mistake it for uh, you know covering the the bears of Wall Street, but it's uh, it's definitely a territory that we're we're excited to continue our coverage in. Yeah, and you know, um, one of the things they talked about was the fact that um, you know, their their the growth that they had in premiums and fees because you had demand for homes and the number of refinances soared. So, like that that helps. I I, I didn't really realize that that's something that was cyclical, right? Like when you have this huge demand for homes, that their premiums and fees could go up like that. Um, so, and you were right. This is the first year that they're um, that that they've gotten over a billion dollars. So, uh, record year for them. Yeah, I, I mean, and they're also there because it is purchased, right? Purchase generates a higher per fee file. And so, yeah, they're going to get hurt by a slowdown in the refi sector. Like all of them across the board are going to get hurt. But but if you're if you're focusing on purchase transactions, and, and it looks like during 2021, purchase was about 72% of uh, the title group's revenue for Old Republic. Um, they're theoretically going to do fine. Um as long as those home builders can can keep uh, can keep putting hammers onto uh, onto wood. Well, well, let's talk about those home builders. One of the other, um, you know, one of the other earnings that we covered was Pulte Group, which had an amazing uh, fourth quarter. So tell us about that. So this this was um, a, a really interesting one in that it kind of caught fire a little bit on Twitter. So you know, Pulte is is a big home builder. They are. Please don't quote me on this. I think they're the number three uh, home builder in America, and uh, they they build you know not entry level 
homes necessarily, but they're not toll brothers. They're not building, you know, like $1 million uh, luxury uh, abodes across California and Hoboken, New Jersey or anything like that. So, but, but they are doing really well and they're, their revenue soared 26% last year to $13.9 billion. They made nearly $2 billion in net income in 2021. That's that's about almost 40% more than what they made a year prior. And in total, they had almost 30,000 closings. So they're really prolific. And all the home builders have been doing very well, but they're all facing a lot of the same issues. And so you talk about where are the homes are, are they going to come? You know, there, there are only so many factors that they can control. And these are really regimented, sophisticated businesses that are, um, you know, this is all they do. And, and they're, they're honestly, it's kind of amazing to watch uh, how, how they manage to get these things done because it's, it's a very challenging business, uh, but they have maturing millennials, they have empty nesters. And so the demographics are really, really favorable, but the reality is, COVID has impacted their business. They're not able to buy the lots that they want to have. They cannot get access to the labor that they want. And materials are still really difficult to obtain. You know, in some places you can wait months for cabinets. You know, trusses are still not easy to find windows. I mean, even as an everyday homeowner, you know, I look at these things and I go, man, I've been waiting months for a dishwasher. What's what's up with that? And then you think about that times 30,000, right? Like it's, it's a really, it's, it is for them, they refer to the supply chain issues as a crisis, um, the, the National Association of Home Builders. So, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the purchase market and, and it kind of being the savior for for a lot of, you know, the, the companies in, in the housing ecosystem at large. But for the most part, this supply is going to be coming from new homes. You know, it's... Um, well, and, you know, he even said um, that in the earnings call, uh, you know, they talked about the fact that they intentionally slowed sales. And, yeah. and we know that home builders did that because, you know, they, they just, they aren't able, you know, they don't want to build a home. And like you said, there's no cabinets. There's a, they have to slow sales just because they don't have all of those things in place. So they did have a, a great year. Um, they could have had an even better year. It'll be interesting to see what their first quarter looks like when those earnings come out. So uh, home builders, everyone's watching them. Uh, of course, our, our lead analyst, uh, Logan Motoshami, says you can't build your way out of this uh, current inventory crisis, but it sure would be helpful if you're one of the ones out there looking for a home, uh, if you could look at the new builds. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, these problems are felt very acutely in certain areas. And, um, you know, where, where I live in the Northeast, you know, home builders don't have as much presence and that's because you don't really have exurbs, you know, and when you're surrounded by New York City, right? But you go down to where my parents live in North Carolina, and it's all you see. And uh, the competition there is quite fierce. And um, and it's the only way you're going to get any stock. And, and guess where people are moving? They're not moving where I am. They're not moving to Brooklyn. <laughs> They they are moving to Texas. Moving to I Texas, can tell right? you that. And that's yeah. where Pulte is. Pulte is big in Texas and Florida and, right. and for a reason, right? There's available land. Not a lot of restrictions uh, and lots of people moving. Absolutely. 
Well, um, you know, one of the other themes that we kind of covered this year, we had some valuation news. So we had, you know, the largest AMC, one of the largest AMCs got acquired this week. And we also had class valuation make another acquisition. So, you know, the, you, you talked about title earlier, the valuation space is also something that we've really put a reporter on and, and, and all our reporters are focused on this year because it's so pivotal and we're seeing so much happen in that space. So, so talk a little bit about either of those two stories. Yeah, you know, I, I think in general, it's it's important to think about appraisal in a larger construct. And this is maybe the only time in, in American history in which you could make that kind of statement and not be laughed at. But but I think appraisal was almost entering sort of, uh, you know, like a kind of a general conversation. People read all these news articles, they see all these stories about appraisers and, uh, you know, with, with desktop appraisal for Fannie Mae, there's news there. And so, so it's, it's kind of of the moment. And, um, but a lot of people don't get into the nitty gritty in this space, which is really being heavily um, influenced by private equity and people are looking for returns. And whether you like AMCs or you like the way the current appraisal process is structured, um, you know, based on the, the in the wake of Dr. Frank and, and the various reforms, they are a part of the process. And unless people are paying cash, um, well, mortgage company, they have to deal with them. And the appraisers themselves, uh, you know, they can't escape it, as, as, although many of them would like to, I think. Um, so what you're seeing, and it's really interesting, is private equity and large investment firms are knocking on their doors and saying, we're going to throw a bunch of money um, at these companies because they have they have an in, right? Like housing is not going to be uh, valued less in the near future. You know, we're going to continue to see home sales. We're going to continue to see refinances, probably not at the rate that that we had in the past. But you can't you can't remove the appraisal management company from that equation either. So the fact that they're generally speaking also relatively, and I want to preface this, I don't know the ins and outs necessarily of all the operations, but these are not hugely laborious operations. You know, like nobody has like an Amazon warehouse of appraisers that they are paying, you know, $15 an hour and they have to, you know, find new ones every day or anything like that. So they're, they're pretty regulated businesses. They're pretty reliable businesses and they can make money on these. And they also have a lot of access to data that could be valuable in the future. So I, I think that's probably why you see a lot of capital coming into these markets. And so we saw earlier this week, our Capita Group Holdings, which is a, an investment firm based out of Bahrain, they acquired a controlling stake in a, a really big independent appraisal management company called Nationwide Property and Appraisal Services. Uh, we don't know the price, um, but we, we do know some of the interesting metrics that you typically don't see in AMCs. Um, and, and none of them are to my knowledge, none of them are public. And so to get under the hood and to kind of get some uh, context as to how these businesses are doing at a high level um, is really useful. And so I believe that they they said something like they had they had $144 million in revenue in 2021. They have a network of over 15,000 appraisers. And they, they work with, you know, kind of a who's who of the top uh, retail and wholesale lenders in the country. So this is a highly cash generative business. And I, I don't think they're they're done yet. You're going to continue to see more of this in class valuation. You know, they've made five acquisitions in as many years. 
you know, they're, they're also stepping up their game. They want to be, you know, the biggest player out there and, and they have, uh, they've just acquired another firm, uh, another AMC based also out in Detroit. And so, yeah, this, this is a space where, where you're seeing a lot of money come into. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah, so interesting. I, I think it's the theme of uh, consolidation that we talked about uh, with title, with with lenders, whatever. You're seeing, to your point, a lot of money interested in the space. And then you're seeing a lot of people who probably, you wonder, you know, how many people are, are priming themselves to be acquired, right? I mean, they see the writing on the wall, too. If, you, if you're if you a smaller company in either title or valuation, even a smaller lender, I mean, it, it you know, one of the ways people grow is through acquisitions and the consolidation we're seeing across the board is pretty amazing. Yep. Absolutely. And until the U.S. government changes the law, you know, like appraisal and appraisers uh, are going to need AMCs to, to manage the orders and the flow and to be that firewall between the lenders. And, uh, you know, so that's that's where it's going to be. And, and uh, knowing how the U.S. government works, I don't see those changes if they are to come uh, happening anytime soon. So I, I think investment's just going to keep on coming. Well, James, I appreciate you wrapping up some of our some of our stories from this week. What do we have? Um, what is the newsroom working on that our readers should be looking forward to coming out? We've got a great story on the MSR market, which I, I hope everybody reads. It's a high level look at, um, and it's been an absolutely phenomenally hot market over the last month, especially. I mean, it's it's been hot for a little while, of course, um, since the pandemic, but um, rising interest rates are really adding a lot of fuel to that fire. And so uh, we've got a story from Bill Conroy, a senior mortgage reporter, and uh, he's quoting Incenter Managing Director Tom Piercy. And, and Piercy says that uh, on average, historically, we'd be selling $100 billion to $125 billion in MSRs annually. And now we just did over $110 billion for the month of January. It was a monster month. I mean, it was crazy. Crazy month. Yeah, absolutely crazy. You know, and, and it, it's just the, the fact of the matter is bank and non-bank mortgage originators alike have been stockpiling MSR assets over the past two years. So they keep them on their balance sheets and they're waiting for the right moment to sell them. And uh, it, it looks like January sure was the right moment. You know, I mean, rates jumped, what, like 50 basis points nearly? You know, so it's... It's significant, and uh, the market is not at all close to being tapped. So that's that's definitely a story I, I hope everybody takes a look at. And uh, on the real estate side, we've got a really great piece coming uh, later this week, early next week, uh, sort of a, a deep dive examination on uh, Redfin and its business model. They are the rare real estate brokerage that doesn't work with independent contractors. They have their own salaried agents, and so while they do have more managerial control over those agents, it, it also means that they're they're potentially legally more susceptible uh, when when claims come in, you know, about uh, bias or steering or you know any of the number of things that that uh, you hear about agents being accused of, of discriminating through. And so, really interesting. So I, I hope that everybody will check that out. And then I, I can't quite share all that much later. But I do have a story that I expect to be coming in the next day or so about uh, UWM and Rocket. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty quick tease, unfortunately, Sarah, since I don't have a whole lot of information right now. But, <laughs> um, based on what I know so far, I, I think um, those who have been following the uh, traumatic 
saga between Rocket and UWM are, are probably not going to be very surprised, but I, I think they'll be entertained if, if they follow closely. So, Dramatic saga is a good way to, to uh, wrap that up. Well, James, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for uh, taking the time to walk us through some of the things that we're uh, reporting on. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.